Stick with me for 
for a second. And, uh, and so we have this rival high school down the road, and I just checked this, this past week, and I found out that that high school doesn't exist anymore. They closed the doors, and I'm not shedding any tears. Like, that was like, no problem. I didn't feel anything about that. But anyways, I digress. So we have this rival high school, and we, you know how this goes, right? They play sports against each other and all that kind of stuff. And they had this kid, and I'm going to call him Danny, and you're going to know why I'm changing his name in a second. Uh, but they had this kid, Danny, and he was about, and I use the word kid loosely, he was about the biggest kid you're ever going to see. Freshman year, he, he had to be like 6'2", 6'3", 280, 90, 300 pounds, like just a big kid. So suffice to say, football season rolled around, he was a lineman, and he would just terrorize our football team. Uh, you know, not fun to play with against year after year. But here's the thing, the story takes place in Canada, so as soon as football season ends, it's hockey, and the hockey season begins, and this kid, Danny, would lace up the skates and he'd be a defenseman on their hockey team, and then he'd terrorize us through the hockey season. And this is like four years of this stuff, and we're just, I mean, we're, we're demoralized. I mean, he's taunting us. He's like Goliath. He's like, send someone out to challenge me. And he's, he's defying God. Well, at least in my mind, he was defying God, and the prophet wasn't doing that. So anyways, when I think of a stand, I think, of the terror that he raised on our team and our school and until one specific moment in time. And I had the puck in the corner and I saw this kid Danny skating at me and I thought to myself, there's no way to avoid what's about to happen here. So Danny picked me up and hit me. He took his full frame and crunched every bone of my body into the boards and just kind of left me, you know, kind of hanging there. And I, I couldn't breathe and I'm just gasping for air. And it felt like eternity. It was probably like eight seconds, you know, but like just panicking. And in that moment, I thought someone needs to teach this guy this. And so I got up, you know, back on my skates and all I could hear is him, oh, 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 oh. I defy you, I defy your God, and I said, if no one else is going to stand up to this guy, I'm going to stand up to Danny, and by the way, the reason I changed his name is because he's out there somewhere, and I don't want to hear this, so that's why I said to Danny today, but I, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to take a stand here, and so I, you know how David had a slingshot, I had a hockey stick, and I just did my best, you know, I went after that guy, and I was yelling and screaming, and this is totally embellishment, but in my mind, I took a stand that day, and I slew the giant, and I made a statement that he's not going to be uh, terrorizing our hockey team anymore. Yeah, our team got disqualified for the rest of the season. Yeah, we got suspended for the playoffs of the year after as well, and that was kind of all of our last hockey game. Something about a bench-clearing brawl and everybody, but, but I took a stand, baby. You know, uh, we're, uh, we're on this uh, journey, and uh, I, I am grateful for the students for allowing us to join you in this journey. Um, we're talking about standing for something, and uh, this idea of standing for something that you believe in, isn't that an inspiring thought? Yeah. This idea of really taking a stand in your life for things that you believe to be true. 
And over the past few days, the students, I know you've descended from really all over the middle of the country, the Midwest, the heartland, and uh, you've been hearing inspiring preaching, you've had incredible fellowship, but it's all around this idea of taking a stand for God, standing up, standing firm, and standing on the foundation of God's word and prayer. And this morning, what I've been asked to talk about is this idea of standing out on our campuses, in our towns, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in your place of work. And so we're going to be continuing on that theme. But when we talk about taking a stand, brothers and sisters, what's interwoven is this idea that we want to do something significant with our lives. Can I get an amen on that? We want to do something significant with our lives. So it's not just standing for the sake of standing, but we want to do something. We want to make a dent in the world we live in. We want to affect people that we come in contact with. We want to change people's lives. And I dare even say, a group this size, we want to change the world. Yeah. And so we're talking about standing, but really we're also talking about how can we change the world that we live in. Imagine with me for a moment if we actually accomplished what we set out to accomplish. Imagine if a group this size, do it again, I know Brett might too, but look around, look around the room for a second. Make eye contact, it's awkward, I know, but just look at everybody. Imagine a group this size left this place and we actually accomplished what we set out to do for God. What if we were the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden? What if we became the most loving, the most active and involved, the most passionate, the most in touch people on our campuses, in our high schools, or in our neighborhoods? What if we were relevant beyond our church buildings or beyond our Bible talks and everybody saw something in a group of people this size? Brothers and sisters, if we even come close to that, if we even scratch the surface of that, the impact that this group have, the impact that the students could have on our campuses, man, it's just exciting to think about. Let's pray together as we get to God's word. Father, I'm so grateful to be here to, to worship you with my brothers and sisters. And Father, we know that you look down here and you see your children. And Father, we are in so many different places. I pray that your word meets us exactly where we're at today. Father, speak through me. Remove the things in me that get in the way. Help me not to think about myself. Help us not to think about ourselves, but you and your word. Father, we want to be with you in heaven one day. We want to bring as many people uh, there with us as possible. And we pray, God, that you take a stand as we change our lives, as we help others to change their lives, that you do incredible things in us. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. How you doing? So, I'm a little bit of a throwback, as Willie said. I've been around a while. I've been in our fellowship for 33 years. I'm actually in my 70s right now. <laughs> um, but uh, someone's like, really? That's good. Uh, but, uh, but I've been around a while, a little bit of a throwback. And so, I'm okay with a ruckus crowd. Yeah, I'm good with that. Now, I heard the campus students can bring some hype into a lesson and sometimes. something that's from God's scriptures and it hits you, you can say one of those good old-fashioned amens. Let's try that. Amen. Now sometimes, way back when, we would say things like, camp on that, bro. Okay, let's stay with amen then. Let's stick with amen. That's fine. That's fine. If you want 
word, that's also okay. We're talking about standing out for God. And um, I guess the question is, can we have Jesus' heart as our heart? Can His will, can God's will for our life become our will? Can His mission really become your mission? Standing out, having an impact, changing the world is all dependent. And here's the point I want to make today. It's all dependent on God changing you first. You can throw that up there on the screen. There's a point I want to make. If there's one thing that you hear today, changing the world starts with God changing you. And we're talking about taking a stand, but it's a stand for a reason. There's a world out there that needs to be changed, that needs to be influenced, but it starts with what God does in us. In the words of the urban prophet, Drake. Sometimes, sometimes it's the journey that teaches you about your destination. Now, I can't say what you said before that. I can't say what you said after that. But I got great in the church. How about that? Right? I'm just saying that something. <laughs> He's Canadian. But it's true. We're on this journey, and God is doing something in your life right now. So before we talk about you changing other people, or changing the world, or the stands that you need to take, it's good to start with what is God doing in your life right now? You know, there's an inscription on an old faded tomb that lays in the Westminster Abbey. And here's what it says. It says, when I was young and free, and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, is there anybody in our twilight years in the room? Amen, yeah, amen. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those who were closest to me. But alas, even my family would have none of it. And now I realize as I lay on my deathbed, if I had only changed myself first, then by my example, I might have changed my family. And from their inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to better my country. And who knows? I might have even changed the world. You know, the scriptures say that the Lord has put eternity on our hearts. And this is just a way of saying that there's something inside each one of us in our design that longs to be some part of something bigger than ourselves. We long for spiritual things, for eternal things. And what I love about following Jesus is he gives you every opportunity to find that. Wow. People who follow Jesus should never be short of vision for our lives. He gives us the ultimate vision, which is spiritual. It affects us and everybody else around us. As we're reminded, changing the world starts with changing you. You know, I just think of a few people in scripture. I think of Joseph. You know, Joseph was the guy that he had visions for his life and was going to do great things. But his life had to take a detour for those things that actually go the way that had been prophesied. And he actually had to endure human trafficking. And he had to be imprisoned and abandoned. He actually went through a whole low period of his life before the things that he wanted to see happen, the things that God said would happen, 
actually came to pass. Joseph took a stand and he changed the world, but God had to change him first. Generations later, Moses had this dream of freeing those same people from Egypt. And he decided to take that in his own hands. Have you ever done that before? I did that on the hockey rink that day. <laughs> Didn't go so well for me, to be honest. <laughs> but sometimes we get ahead of God's plan. And Moses got ahead of God's plan. And he had to wait 40 more years. Right. And he took a stand. And he changed the world. But God had to change him first. I think of Saul from Tarsus. Who everybody kind of said, hey, this is going to be the next guy. He was likely in line to be the high priest. Yeah. Went to the right schools, came from the right family. But who knew that he needed to have an intervention from the Son of God? And he needed to be blinded. And he needed to go through all kinds of persecutions. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was abandoned. Paul did take a stand. But he had to go through a process from becoming Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle took a stand, changed the world, but God had to change him first. You know, in my life, I, uh, I think of you know, the dreams that I've had at different points and things that I, was, I would hope that God would do in my life. And these past few years, you know, sometimes people come up here and they share testimonies and, you know, my life used to be really bad, but now I've got Jesus and it's really good. You know, people share that and that's true. And if you're visiting with us, that's actually true. But I have to be honest that the last couple years have been very difficult for me. It have been very difficult for my family. And I've shared this a number of times in different settings, but God allowed certain things in my life to be interrupted. You know, my youngest brother, Ryan, passed away towards the end of 2016. And uh, the circumstances around that at times have felt unbearable for me. I had plans for my life. I, I prayed and I worked toward those plans. And everything was supposed to go according to that plan. And for the first time in my life, I know what it's like to have this deep sorrow that never leaves me. And I know there's a lot of, room, a lot of people in the room that I've talked to that have that same sorrow. At times, there's been this anxiety from not feeling whole. There's even been feelings of depression that's fueled by regrets and shame and woulda, shoulda, coulda. And my questions for God during this time have been real. They've been intense. What Clarissa and I often say is we've at times not been the best version of ourselves. My prayer walks have left all of my neighbors thinking that I'm a wacko. <laughs> like nobody wants to come to our church anymore. They're like, I know you. I, you're the guy that like is just crying and yelling and stuff. And I'm like, the neighborhood's all I got. I've had those real prayer times. And in a room this size, I know that there's so many stories like this. There's, there's a way that you wanted things to go. Maybe it was even this semester. And God is taking you on a detour. You know, we want to change the world. First, we got to let God change us. We want to change the world, but maybe it's this ongoing health challenge. We want to change the world, but first, there's the, the sorrow of loss. Maybe it's a child that was in the womb, or maybe someone you cared about deeply. We want to change the world, but first, there's this ongoing battle of sin that just keeps dogging you, and you can't seem to beat it. We want to change the world, but there's this dark cloud of anxiety or depression, and it feels like it's got a stranglehold on your faith. We want to change the world, but first there's these broken relationships, challenges with our parents, with our kids, with our brothers and sisters, and in the church. And for so many of us, we can relate to Joseph. 
We can relate to Moses, to the Apostle Paul, to Ruth or Mary if you'd like. We can relate to those who had plans, people had plans for them, and it never seemed to go according to plan. You know, today we're going to be talking about taking a stand, but really we're going to be talking about changing the world. Are you okay with that? I figure, how often do we get a thousand of our closest friends together in the room? So let's talk about changing the world together. Our text is going to be coming out of 1 Kings, and we're going to be talking about a guy named Elijah. We're, I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of a uh, bio here uh, with you, just kind of bringing up to speak. Context is really important when you study scripture. So Elijah, his profession was he was a prophet. Okay? His nickname was the Troubler of Egypt, uh, tr Troubler of Israel, rather. He had some superpowers. Every bio has to have superpowers, right? He could raise the dead, and he had climate control, extreme climate control. His favorite food was anything brought to him by ravens. And so that's what you need to know about Elijah. It's kind of like those snacks at Friday evening. What do we have? I'll eat it, right? What are the ravens dropping up? Oh, okay, I'll eat that. Then. That's fine. And so this is taking place. We're going to be in First uh, Kings 17 and 18. This is taking place about a hundred years after the reign of David, and after he ruled over United Israel. And now there's a north and a south kingdom. King Ahab was on the throne, and King Ahab was a bad dude. He was kind of one of those bad kings, and there was more of them than there were good kings. But King Ahab was the king, and under his leadership and under his watch, God's people had forsaken him. And they started worshiping this idol called Baal. Ahab's wife, the infamous Jezebel, maybe you heard about her, not many of us naming our daughter Jezebel, <laughs> has been persecuting the Lord's prophets, but with the help of Obadiah, who served in Ahab's court, and also did a little writing on the side, you may have read his book called Obadiah. That's it. <laughs> Obadiah helped save some of the Lord's prophets that Jezebel was persecuting, and the ones that were saved were now in exile, living in caves, and in fear for their lives. And so that's the backdrop, and in that backdrop, Elijah emerges as the main spokesman, and the only remaining prophet to deliver God's word to his people. Let's read together in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishba, where Tishbites come from, in Gilead, said to Ahab the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. So Elijah walks up to the king. And he says, starting now, there's no rain until I say so. And the earliest Hebrew manuscripts tell us that this was in fact the first mic drop in scripture. <laughs> this is actually the first Old Testament mic drop. It's in the Hebrew. First Kings 18, let's go ahead one chapter, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, so three years later, this is First Kings 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Verse 2, so Elijah went to pre present himself to Ahab. So after three long years, the Lord says, the rain is coming. And this is setting things up for what's going to be one of the most epic stands all of scripture. 
If you've been around church a while, you've probably heard about Elijah on Mount Carmel. And we're going to read about that today. But here's what I want to do. I want to look at one of the most epic stands and something that you may or may not find yourself doing in your life. You know, calling down rain from, I'm sorry, a fire from heaven. Right? Like, we may not do that. You may try. It may not work. But within that stand, there are some things that I believe that we can take that will help us to better stand for God, stand out of this world, allow God to change us so that we can also change the world we live in. How does that sound? First Kings 18. And I'm telling you, this is the real stuff right here. Look, forget the fake stuff. This is not like Lord of the Rings. It's not like Infinity Wars. The other one, Justice League, I wrote down. I, I, I realize if you if you go to Marvel and you don't go to the DC, you know, you just lose people. Like, just people like this is like that's my Justice League. <laughs> they got nothing on Elijah and the stand on Mount Carmel. First Kings eighteen verse sixteen. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, "Is that you, you troubler of Israel?" I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said and replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Thank you. I can do it by myself. That's when you're here. Who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? The literal word in there is, How long will you limp around between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God. And I will call the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it. At least they're talking now, right? Elijah, no, stay focused. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response. No one answered. And then they danced around the altar and they, that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Shout. He is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. The literal wording is he's perhaps using the bathroom. <laughs> or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. 
that he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, you, you, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench in it. It large enough to hold two seas of water. He arranged the wood, cut the bow into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water. Water's probably a commodity at that point. And pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so the people will know, Lord, you are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up, up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also lit up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink. There's the sound of the heavy rain. What an epic stand. I mean, don't you want that to be what your semester goes like? Don't you want that to be what your, your, your experience in the church and your experience in your relationship? I mean, just this picture of standing for God. You know, um, there's so much in here and there's so much that we could go through. Draw out a few thoughts. Remember, our main idea today, the one that the, the thought I want you to leave with is to really change this world. It's got to start with God changing us first. If you're going to stand out, it starts with God changing you first. And so I want to draw just a few things that I think will help us. I'll make a couple of points at the end here and we'll call that a sermon. How does that sound? Firstly, verse 21. We see that uh, uh, Elijah went before the people. He said, how long will you waver between the two opinions? And, uh, and he says, uh, but he says, the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. You know, as we consider our own lives, if you, as you consider where your life is at right now, there is a time where God, because he's working in your life, because he wants to change you, because he's trying to help you become like Jesus, there's times when the thing that he's going to require of you to stand alone. Now, that's not all the time. Amen? But there are times where the thing that God requires of you is to stand alone. I remember my freshman year of college. We went on a mission team. There was three students. And we went to a town quite similar to Lawrence, actually. I love Lawrence. It reminds me of where I went to school. Uh, we got kind of like the Canadian Lawrence or something. <laughs> it's not Lawrence, but you know what I mean. But anyways, we went out there, and uh, there were three of us, and there were some married couples and some singles, and we started a church. And that first semester, we just tore up our campus. We shared our faith with thousands of people, spent about with hundreds of people. And that first semester, we baptized five people. And when you go from three to eight, that feels like three to eight billion. Like, all of a sudden, we could play two on two basketball. <laughs> 
Like, we actually stopped sharing our faith because we had our own game going. It was like, okay, that's not good, right? We just have to, like, have other people. Um, it, it, I mean, eight students, and then we grew beyond that, but all of a sudden, you could go on a different encouragement date with a different sister every Saturday of the month. That used to be a thing, by the way. used to actually do it. What do you think, sisters, huh? coming together the way that I had hoped it would come together, and God was changing us and challenging us, but I went home for the holidays, and I was just super excited about where things were at. One thing I didn't know is that while I was off at school and while we were preaching the word, what I didn't know was that at the same time, the rest of my family, I'd grown up in church. I'm a kingdom kid. That's what I am. I've been part of church forever and a day. I know all the words to the upside down lyrics and all that kind of stuff. I'm youth chords and teen camps and all that kind of stuff. I went home, but what I didn't know at the time was that the rest of my family was really sliding in their faith. And it was just really, and I have this vivid memory of going home for the holidays and realizing that my family had stopped going to church. And you're thinking, how did you not notice that? Well, I was pretty focused on what I was doing. But I got home for the holidays, and it was just the most discouraging feeling to go to church over the holidays for the first time ever to be the only family member that was going. My parents weren't there, my brothers weren't there, my brother had been studying the Bible at the time. And I remember this feeling of loneliness. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've studied the Bible with people and you feel like you're building a great friendship and then all of a sudden things just change up. What happened to you? Maybe you've been on a campus for a while now and you feel like as you stand up for your convictions and as you stand up for what God says is true, you lose some friends along the way. And what I'm here to tell you is there are times where you've got to stand alone for God. You know, um, the... Uh, Theologians have some different thoughts on, uh, on one of uh, Elijah's statements here. He says, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. And uh, what, what they're not sure about is Elijah referencing that he was the only prophet there to take that stand on Mount Carmel. Or possibly, was he painting an even darker picture? Where even the remaining prophets, those who had been exiled and living in caves, that they'd all forsaken the Lord could it be that an entire generation, including the king, including the hundreds of prophets, had all together walked away from the Lord? Elijah looked to the left, and he looked to the right, and he says, I'm the only one. Everyone else has walked away, turned away, forsaken the Lord, and now I'm here on this mountain, and I'm the only one left. And one of the things we see in Elijah's experience, and certainly I've experienced this in my life, I'm sure many of us have as well. When you take a stand, sometimes it costs you some friends. Sometimes friends don't like the stands you're taking. Sometimes it puts you in the minority and it will cost you your reputation. But I remember this idea of wanting to do great things for God and feeling like on our campus everything is awesome. And I came home and in that moment I felt so lonely. And there's times when God is going to require you to stand alone. Remember, to change the world, to change the campus, to take your stand, God's going to change you first. And there's certain lessons that He can only teach you when you only have Him. There's certain lessons that you won't learn in any other situation or season in your life, except when you just have the Lord, and He will put you in those situations. Right. Secondly, another thing we see 
is Elijah is calling everybody back to being fully devoted to the Lord. And uh, he says, how long will you waver between these opinions, limping between these two opinions? If God is, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. Then down in verse 30, it says, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came, they came to him. And it says that he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was out of service completely. So Baal's uh, altar was working fine. Right? It was shiny. It was new. People were using it. The Lord's altar had been broken down. And it says that with the stones, the 12 stones that each represented the tribes of Israel, he rebuilt the altar in the name of the Lord. You know, there are times where we need to stand alone. There's other times where the call is to stand again. One of the things I love about this picture right here, and I just love this so much. You see on one hand, you, it's, you see two altars here. You see the, 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 those worshiping Baal, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. They're, you're kind of looking like, that's a weird church service. I don't want to be a part of what they're doing over there all day. And that's really weird. And then you see on the other side, this broken down altar. But Elijah takes the time and finds 12 stones. And here's what I love so much about this. And maybe you noticed this. But even when God is about to do something new, He intentionally uses the stones of old. And there are times when the need of the hour is for some of us to stand once again. Elijah was going in a new direction. That's exciting. You know, in the church, we talk a lot about the younger generation, don't we? Maybe so. It's like, not enough. We don't keep talking about that. And that's absolutely true. Are, those of us who have been around a while, aren't we super excited about the younger generations in our church? The teenagers, the campus students. Yeah. Can we really acknowledge and love the generation? But the thing I love about the kingdom is that the kingdom is all about a multi-generational experience. From the very beginning, in Acts 2, you know it, you love it. Peter says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And in the same chapter, he quotes Joel 2. That's the whole thing where he says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. From the very beginning, the kingdom was always multi-generational. The world pits the generations against each other. You're either too young and you've got to come back later, or you're too old and you need to step aside. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. And I love that he takes these 12 stones and he, the lineage and the history there. And although God is about to do something new for that generation, it's not forsaking or forgetting those in the past. You know, we need a new generation of younger leaders who are going to move our church forward. We need younger leaders that are spiritual-minded and driven and humble and willing to stand for the Lord. But you, you know what we also need? We also need an older generation of leaders or seasoned generation of leaders who are spiritual-minded and driven and humble and willing to stand again. For the Lord. You know, as a younger brother in this room, too many of you, let me say, those of us, those of you who've gone before us, we are so grateful for your example. There are people in this room that the sacrifices you've made, we will never totally understand, and your reward is in heaven. But what I want to share with you is we still need you. There are people in this room that we're not standing for God the way we used to. I'll say this, faith is not just a young man's game. And I love that even as Elijah's taking this stand, and even as they're moving things forward, moments before the fire gets rained down from heaven, there's this moment where he takes those 12 stones and says that we're going to 
also honor the past. We need to stand alone at times. At times we need to stand again. And then thirdly, we need to stand for God. It sounds kind of simple, right? Mm. Our point is, our overall point, if you leave with one thing, it's change, if you're going to change the world, it starts with God changing you. But uh, this idea of standing for God, you know, the, the goal here is not just to go stand somewhere. <laughs> you know, one thing that I've learned is that understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing is usually the difference of whether I'm going to keep doing it or not. Does that make sense? That sounds in my head. So when I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing or who I'm doing it for, I believe that is the, dis the, the difference. Verse 37, Elijah says, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And you are turning their hearts back again. Two things there. Firstly, he says, I want everyone to know that you, Lord, are God. Elijah sets things up and he's getting ready to take the stand. And only moments before the stand, he has this prayer time, this time with him and God. And he prays, he says, God, Lord, please help them know that you're God. And if we accomplish anything here today, Father, help them know this one thing, that you are God. I'm just your servant. You're working my life. And as Elijah took the stand, you get the sense that he was very clear on why he was doing what he was doing. For him, it was all about helping everybody to know how awesome God was. He says, Lord, help them to know, help them to see, and use my life to help that happen. You know, you got to remember who you are and whose you are when you're taking a stand for God. We have no reason to lack vision. Because God has incredible vision for our lives. You know, the Lord, after that, he says, uh, he says, help them know that you're God. The second part there, he says, and help them know that you're, you are turning hearts back again. You know, there's times when I can get all focused on what I'm doing for God, the stand that I want to take, the change that I want to make. And I can completely miss the fact that even my faithfulness, even my repentance, even my heart turning back, these things are still more about God's power than they are about my own efforts. It's so easy to get all hyped up about taking a stand and think, man, I'm going to do great things. And that's not the message here at all. It's God, help them see who you are. Help them know that even their hearts turning back is because of your grace. Elijah knew it, and he wanted everyone else to see it. God is the one who turns hearts. God is the one who grants repentance. God is the one who makes you faithful. And we are inclined at times to take credit for God's work. Wow. Sometimes we got to stand alone. Some of us, we got to stand again. But as we stand, we've got to make sure that we're standing for God. Okay, I won't land the plane. Come on, That's good. James 5 verse 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. And what I love so much about that verse is, yes, there's the miraculous element of the story, but the things that happened that were interwoven into this story, the principles there that Elijah held onto are also available for us. Yeah. We can see these prophets, you can see these amazing people, and you say, Elijah, man, that guy's awesome. I can't call down fire from heaven, but Elijah was a man. He was a human being just like you and just like me. And he stood out in his generation and he changed the world for God. But what we see in his life, and we don't have time to read through it, it started because he allowed God to change him. 
the process. Elijah was a man just like us. If you're a disciple, you've got to let God change you before you change the world. Maybe you're searching right now. Maybe you're on a journey. Maybe you don't even know what a disciple is. Maybe you've been doing some Bible studies. Maybe this is your first time here or your second time. You're like, I kind of like these guys. I mean, they hug too much, but I can deal with that. And you're thinking, I, I just want to know more. Wherever you are right now, Elijah was a person just like you. And he took a stand for God. God used his life, and he can do the same with us. You know, uh, we'll close with the verse in Luke. 21 verse 19. Just simply says, and this is Jesus' words, I love how he puts it. He says, Stand firm and you will win life. You know, um, something that I've talked a lot about over the last few years and talked to some of you guys about is this idea of having a ton of hope in the church. You know, uh, hashtag you sometimes this whole culture. And we talk about, you know, at the end of the day, we have the most hope. You know, things can always change. Maybe your semester is not going great, or maybe it's going fantastic. If it's going fantastic, stick around because the rest of us need to be reminded about you. But maybe your relationships, maybe things in your life aren't the way that you want them to be. But the cool thing is if you let God do what He wants to do in your life, there's always hope for you. Things can always get better. And I love this verse because all Jesus is saying is stand firm, and when all is said and done, you're going to win life. That's the promise. The stand that we're taking is to win life. We want to make it to heaven when all said and done. And you want to look to the left. You want to look to the right. You want to bring as many people there with you as possible. You want to bring your children, right, parents? You want to bring your parents with you. You want to bring your grandkids with you. You want to bring the kids that are on your classes with you. You want to walk onto that campus and look at that campus and say, God, help them to know who you are. Help them to turn their hearts back to you. Brothers and sisters, if we stand, we will win life. Imagine the marriages that could be healed. Imagine the addictions that could be broken. The hurt that could be healed. The relationships that could be restored. The love that will be shared. And as a result, the souls that will be saved. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together. Let's keep changing together. And in so doing, let's change this world. Amen. Amen.